Man, good morning, church. I hope that you are well. It is feeling like fall. Feels a little bit actually like it's supposed to for football time to be going on. That's an exciting. Um, go dogs. That's, that's always appropriate as well. Um, I love being able to start service in here anytime I have the chance. I love to remind the church of just who, who we are. It is so beautiful that we get to be known as the, the bride of Christ. And he says that it is, it is us, you and me, and all of our messiness and all of our brokenness, all of our issues and drama, uh, that he says we gather together and that we are the unstoppable force that's on this planet to go and reconcile the world back to him. And so with this in mind and with these thoughts, uh, I just want to just pause. Let's pray over that and then... Let's dive into scripture and see what he calls us to do that we may be obedient to it. So God, thank you again for a a morning that we have, Lord, this day that we set aside to, uh, Lord, be uh, the day that we gather together as your people, Lord, that you may take your word and wash it over us and that we come out through that, Lord, more sanctified, uh, Lord, more renewed in who we are, more unified with you. Um, and so we commit this to you, God, because we love you, and this is all about you. Without this, this is just a gathering, but with you, we are the church. And so we don't want to take it lightly, Lord, what you've called us to do this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to start by way of um, just maybe a little just thought, thought pattern. Just imagine that, that you and me, we, in the, the maze of hallways that is this church, um, at my, my mother-in-law, I think, recognized that again. And so um, I found myself just a few months ago in a place of the church that I'd, and I've been here a year now, and I found, like, a few months ago, I found myself in a place that I didn't know where I was at. Uh, it was great. Uh, I, was like, <laughs> I don't even know how to get to where I'm supposed to go. But imagine that we, we approach one another in one of these hallways, and I ask you the question, hey, will you do me a favor? And so in your mind, you're probably recognizing and thinking, oh, wait a minute, this is the, the guy that works with students. Oh, he's the youth guy. Um, uh-oh, what is he going to ask me to do? Um, so you, reluctantly, or because you're a nice person, uh, would say, sure, um, I'll see what I can do, or maybe. Um, and with that thought whatever it is that I would ask you, it may come with a little bit of hesitancy on your part just because you don't know what's about to be asked of you, right? You don't know what, I, what, what someone's going to ask you when they say, will you do me a favor, especially considering the source. I wonder if wherever it is that we were to turn to in Scripture this morning, do we approach it the same way? Or is it actually an authority in our lives to no matter what it says, no matter what's taking place from God's word, it's not that I would say "Mm, maybe to it or that I would say like, I'll see what I can do with it. This is God approaching us and with his word as our Lord, those in here who are the church, you are a son or a daughter of God. So he is your Lord, then he has full right to be able to manage you as his child. To say to us, 
hey, I mean, if, if I'm honest with you, there's a lot of times that I don't want to dig into Scripture because I kind of know what it requires of me to go against myself, to do things that I don't want to do. It hurts a little bit when we take the word seriously, doesn't it? Right? If we're going to actually renew our minds and put on the mind of Christ and love the things that he loves and despise the things that he despises, if we're going to really be, as we're in this unity talk, if we're really going to do this, I mean, it's what, uh, it's Romans 12 too. It's just like that we may have and take on the mind of Christ. Like, don't be conformed to the things of the world, right? Don't, don't do that, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may be able to discern, recognize what's good and what's wrong, and do what's good and pleasing in the perfect will of God. That's what he's called us to do, but man, that's, if we're going to take that serious. That means we have work to do in here. This is not something where we sit and then we open the doors and smell country's barbecue and really it's where our minds go. Right? It's a, all right, God, we have this opportunity. What is it then that today that God wants to transform our minds? And we can be the, the babiest of, if that's even a word, uh, the babiest of Christians. <laughs> I love making up words. They're funny anyway. Uh, you know what I mean. Or the most seasoned in here, and yet we all still have places in our lives that we need to conform and transform into his likeness. So as we're in this series that we want to focus in on the, what God has called us to be unified, um, recognize that this is a, a message really, that's, this is a, a unification that we need to recognize comes through just a renewal process that he has us on from, from our first moment that we've given our lives and surrendered to Jesus to when he calls us home. Um, that whole time is a, a process that he's looking to renew us. And so there's those of us in here who, that's an invitation to do an internal check. And man, the passage of scripture that was kind of handed to me is like, do this. I mean, this is, this is mean scripture. It's mean. It's robust. It's, it's, it's kind of difficult in ways, not as as of what it means or anything like that to, to exegete it out, but, but just what it says to us. It's difficult in that way. And then there's those of us in here, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're a seeker in the room. You're kind of just wondering about what is this church thing about? Um, who is Jesus? Um, you kind of don't have that understanding of this would be an opportunity for us, church, to be who we're supposed to be that would put a little bit of something that would set us apart, that would cause others outside to recognize that they need to be inside and in Christ. I mean, that's our lives. That we'd be so set apart, so set apart that there would be something so different that's within us. Because we're renewing ourselves that those who are on the outside of that says, what do you have that I don't? What makes you so different? How are you able to be in the middle of difficulty, the difficulty of uh, you know, hard seasons in life and you're facing these things and you still haven't been robbed of joy. And we know we're not robbed of joy because we'll never be robbed of Christ. He'll never be separated from us. And so, if you'll take your Bible, again, you can turn it anywhere you want because it's all good, right? But I'll invite you to go to Philippians 2 if you want to join where we're going to look together. Uh, and it's what has already been beautifully, profoundly brought out with Tom, with these, with these, these kids. I mean, it's, this is exactly what we are 
after. He walked by after that, and he said, that's a true story, by the way. Uh, it just makes it even better. <laughs> right? that, that we are to be, as much as we can, become a twin. I mean, it's the whole concept of being called a Christian, Right? It's a little Christ. It's a version of him for the world to be able to see. So if we're going to say that we're Christians, then we need to be the version of that for a world to be able to recognize that, that we're like him. We look like him. We think like him, which he calls us to do. We act like him. We do the things that he does. And so this very mean passage of Scripture for us, because we have a flesh and we have our own will and desire, um, out of the gate, I think it is important to recognize that, and if you take notes, I don't know that my notes were exactly like, like Cade's, so you may have to flip if there's those in your bulletin, just kind of do, do it this way. Um, recognize that, out of the gate, that Jesus is our standard. He's the standard. Right? He's, he's what all of this is based upon, and I've, I've shared with you guys before, my dad... Uh, he's been a pastor my whole life, um, and he's even preaching today, which he shouldn't be, but he's, he's um, been a pastor my, my whole life, and I've, I've heard him use the same illustrations, man, like a million times, and one of the ones that he would always share, um, it was about he, he and my, my mom, and he talked about this old pickup truck that he had, and it was one of those with the bucket seat, like not bucket seats, but the bench seats. It has the long bench seat in it. And he would share about when they were dating and he was driving, she would always sit really close to him, right? Because, you know, they, they were in love and, you know, dating, right? So he'd sit really close to her and so he could put his arm around her and, right? And so things were great. Life is good. They're in love. And then as time went on, she moved over a little bit, right? And I like, found that maybe the seat was more comfortable over here or what. And then, it, and then had a, a moment in time to where she's like, why don't we sit close together anymore? <laughs> to which he responded as he's in the driver's seat, who moved? <clears throat> and I believe that this is exactly how this should be. So really, if you take that same illustration, the standard would be the driver's seat. If this is what we're trying to get as close to as possible, and that we end up living our lives, we get excited about Jesus, but then we, we tend to maybe drift away, or we neglect areas of our lives, or, or we get caught up in things that we shouldn't, or we're just struggling. Maybe we're in a bad season, and we drift away, and then we point out to God, like, God, what? Why aren't you listening? What, what's going on? Why aren't we closer? And he could be able to say to us, like, who's, who moved? Because this is not about getting God on our side. This is about us transforming into his likeness, right? Not, not him transforming into ours. So it's us. He's the standard. And so when we come in, we recognize that Jesus is the goal. Jesus is what we're after. He becomes the standard. Then we, there's a couple of things that we have to do. So let's look. Philippians chapter 2, and this reads very interesting. It says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation in love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection in mercy, fulfill 
my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, and focusing on one goal. What, those of us who have had time or experiences with Jesus, why, why do you think that he puts if in here so many times? It's like, so like, hey, like, if he's, if God is fantastic, if he is worthy of showing up to church for, if he is like, like, if, if he is, I don't know that that makes complete sense for us. I mean, we live in a world that celebrates and loves the identity of polarity. What I mean by that is we, we, live in a world that, that we find our identity in separating out. And that can be from religion, that we're this and there, that. That could be socioeconomical, to be like, I have this and they have that. That could be political, I believe and stand for this, they believe and stand for that. Right? So we kind of identify ourselves in polarity, in separating out. Now, comically, let's recognize that if chocolate and peanut butter continue to do that for the rest of our lives, that would just be tragic, wouldn't it? Because there would never be Reese's. <laughs> and we need Reese's in the world. Don't we? Like, imagine if they always, somebody start clapping right there. <laughs> I was like, that might be the best thing you hear today. Come on, you might as well clap for it. Right? But can you imagine, though? I mean, I say that comically, but, but, but allow ourselves to recognize that when two things are just could stay separate, that maybe, just maybe, that it shouldn't be that way. I'm not saying that we change our beliefs. I'm not changing, saying that we change that Jesus is the standard. I'm saying that we need to recognize that polarity is not the thing to celebrate. So that sometimes we are so focused on being an identity that we push God out of it that we would separate ourselves from him. And God is saying, that's not how I think. Just because you have this or you believe in this, like you need to change that and transform into what I think and what I'm doing. So that's what he's called us to, to do. So we then have to attach ourselves to Jesus. And unity then, it requires that we see Jesus properly. So first thought for us, unity then requires that we see Jesus properly. Because it's one thing for us to stand up here and come up on this stage in the First Baptist Church and say the name of Jesus. And maybe even within this room, there's different levels of understanding of who he is. Because we live in a world that you can say the name of Jesus and it invokes a Many different responses, right? So there's, there's the, the Hindu people who see Jesus, and they actually give him the name of Vishnu, um, and that he's a completely different kind of God altogether. Then there's, there's people who have this idea of Scientology, and they just believe that he was a good man and had a good moral character. There's, there's Mormons who would say that that he was a man, Jesus was a man, but he actually then became God through the lifestyle that he lived. He became deity. And so some would say, even with all the evidence that 
he never even existed. He was just written into like a character. And so there's different understandings about who this man is, right? And so if that's what they believe, and then we say Jesus, then that's how they respond. But if you don't believe that Jesus is God, then you're not going to respond to him as God, right? Stay with me. Like if, if you see someone that you idolize in your life, like if you're into a certain sport and you see someone that has just been someone that you're like, man, I would love to meet them. When you see them, you might become like a middle school girl. I'm like, why? And you're, and you're after it. But someone else who doesn't even recognize them is going to respond to them and think, who is, who is that? I don't know them. I don't understand why you're acting like that towards this person. Because when we see something, how we see it causes our response to it. So then, when we say Jesus in this room, how you've come into the room thinking of Jesus is your response to him. If he's been someone who has given you the hope that you found in this life, if he's someone who has given you the joy that surpasses everything in his life, if he's someone that has walked through and became the peace that passes understanding in your life, you come in here wanting to celebrate him more than someone who is just like, I don't, I don't really know about this guy. Like your worship time looks different than the other person's worship time. You may clap your hands towards him. You may raise your hands towards him because you've had experiences and moments with him, and that's how you think of him. So we must be a people that long to recognize and see Jesus properly. There's a man by the name of A.W. Tozer, probably his most quoted quote, um, said this. He says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And, And through my time, I've realized how incredible this statement is. Really, if, if being the church is, we recognize as the primary goal of our life and rec- reconciling the world back to God, then this statement is true. If we recognize that all the other things that we get involved in are just really secondary things that are going to be gone in the world, but that our goal is the, what we do with Jesus at the end of the day, when life is over, what you did with Jesus and what I did with Jesus is really what matters. And so how we think about him, our response to him our whole lives really matters. So what you think about, what comes to your mind when you think about God, when you think about Jesus? What is it that, that comes up? How is it that you respond to him? <clears throat> um, I don't think I put this for the notes, but um, came across, had this thought even last night. There's a man by the name of Timothy Keller that said this. He says, describe the God that you've rejected. Describe the God that you don't believe in. And maybe I don't believe in that God either. And I would, I would, I would reject him too. Because often we have the wrong, the misconception of God. And so we respond to him in the wrong way. Right? Are you following that? Like if we don't see him properly and we respond to that, that misconception then we're missing the mark all together. It's like, so if you describe to me the Jesus that you know, I might reject that Jesus too because that's not the real Jesus. That's not a proper Jesus. And so church, it is up to you and me. It is, it is our call, our goal to say, all right, God, what do you need me to do to look more like the 
proper version of you. Not a messed up version because the world doesn't need a messed up version of Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And we have to be Jesus for the world. That's what he's called us to do, that we would come in unity, would come and renew our minds and, and share in the same feelings, focusing on the same goal, share in the same love. Right? We have to see, how did Jesus love? I mean, that, needs, that has to be how we love. How did Jesus feel? That needs to be how we feel. Right? Did, did Jesus love this? Did he despise this? Then, then do you love this and do you despise this? Is that how we respond? Is that how we think of him? So let us push in these moments. Let us push out the, the misconceptions and the wrong ideas of Jesus and put a proper Jesus out for the world, more so because we came here today and that we sharpened each other and we renewed ourselves, hit the refresh button, and walked out the door. That's what he's called us to do. <clears throat> and then the flip side of that, much harder, much harder for us to do, right? The flip side of that, like we can th- see Jesus and recognize, man, he's awesome. Let's just come in here and talk about that, celebrate, right? Have a, have a party in the room because he's worthy of a party for us. And, or we can come in here and say, all right, we got work to do on us. So not only do we need to have a proper version of uh, being able to see who Jesus is, we need to see ourselves properly. That one hurts. That one hurts a little more because it's, it's really fun to come in here and talk about how great and what Jesus is capable of giving his church and how he's able to move and do work in our lives and walk us through difficulties because everybody wants that hope. Everybody wants that kind of power in their life. But it requires that we do this work within ourselves. Back to the text. It says, verse number three, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Ouch. Because that hurts. I mean, this is not, you can put a note, this is not talking about football rivalries. Not that. But rivalry and actually how we handle other people. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not uh, look out not only for their own interests, but also the interests of others. Man, that looks beautiful on a back of a vehicle, doesn't it? In a verse, be like, yeah, love others, love God. It looks pretty, but man, doing that, when it gets down to when it is my thoughts and my heart and I'm considering other people, I know where I'm at. And that's much harder. The, Rivalry and conceit. Those are words we don't really use. Maybe I use rivalry, but rivalry and conceit in this context, it's not something that we, that we say much. But it would be more of the idea of when something bad happens to someone that you might believe deserved it, that you kind of take a little joy in it, in your heart. And that, that has that conceit feel to it, that, that when bad happens to others, that something triggers in us, man, because we're broken, right? That shouldn't be, right? But when something bad happens, when they, right, that we could even say the phrase, they had it coming to them. <laughs> the, the fact that that could even be something that seems recognizable in the room speaks to the fact that we have rivalry and conceit in our lives. And then it says, like, be humble, right? Have humility in our lives. Like, think of others as more than we would think of ourselves. And I heard this definition of humility, uh, and it's something that I love 
Uh, it helps me to kind of think, really think it through and, and flesh it out in my own life. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not lowering yourself, but thinking, thinking of yourself less often. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Right? That we, wouldn't, we wouldn't say that it's all about us. That we would, but humility is not just lowering ourselves, that we think that we're dirt so that other people, no, it's not, it's not that way. Because it actually says, like, as you take care of yourself, think of others the same way. So it's not saying, like, just diminish yourself. And honestly, this is something that me, me and my wife are, are fleshing out currently in our, in our walks. Like, what does this mean? Where's the line for this that, you know, that we would neglect ourselves so that we could do for others? And so it's a difficult line to draw in concrete but he's called us to be after figuring that out. And that's the journey that we have to be, be on. So that we need to see God, see Jesus properly, see ourselves the way that we are supposed to, having kicked out rivalry and conceit and taken on humility. And then the, kind of the last thought for this is unity also requires knowing our purpose in him. So since he's called us, we are doing what it is that we are supposed to do. We're after, like, let me learn who you are, God. I'm going to learn who I am. And then we take back on just the rest of this passage. So let's just look at it together, and then we'll come back through, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Everybody feel good? You ready? Home stretch. All right, so verse number five says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Man, we could do the same thing. That would be fantastic. All right, but verse number seven. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of man. And when he had come as a man in an external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he's calling us recognize who he is, what he has done as an example for us, as a love for us. And then I would say, like, let's come back to verse number two. And he says, focusing on one goal. So fulfill this. Like if, if Christ, if you found Christ to be all that we've said he is, all that we say that we believe that he is, if we have found that in him, then if that is true, if you believe that it's true, then you respond to that. And I'll respond to that. And then we're going to be about one goal together. And that one goal is so that we no longer separate ourselves in polarity from who Jesus is and who we are. Right? I've shared this like, as an illustration with our students once. And I think that it's, it's fitting to, to be able to stick here as well. So if you and I being from the South, were to have a priority list. I believe we would put on the top of our list, what is number one in our lives? What, is, what should it be, right? What should it be? And it should be that, that God is number one in our lives, 
And then we say family is in our lives. And then work or school and friends, it all kind of then kind of just trickles into, you know, whatever it is. I believe that when we do this, because we are rule followers and we like to put checklists and have, have the balance that we feel like, let me encourage you that it shouldn't be that way. That we shouldn't have Jesus, we shouldn't have God on the top of the list. God doesn't come first in that, which sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? Don't put God first. It sounds blasphemous, but it's not. It's not at all. Because when we put him on a list, what then does it look like? Do, do I get up in the morning a little earlier, have a quiet time with a cup of coffee, and I've read, I've studied, I've put God first in my life. Now, wife is up, kids are up. I can treat them pretty much how I want to because I've already taken care of my God thing, right? Because family is now just second tier on this list, so I can be the husband I want to. I don't have to, to be the, the husband that, calls, that, that God calls me to like love her like Christ loves the church, be willing to lay down my life for her. I don't have to do it like that because I've already put God first. I've already checked him off. Maybe I showed up to church on Sunday. Maybe I even did a Bible study on Wednesday. I've checked him off. Now I can go on Monday or on Thursday and live how I want to. I don't have to, I can neglect my kids if I want to, right? I don't have to train them up in the way they're supposed to go because I've done the things that I'm supposed to do by putting God first in my life, by saying I've done the things that I feel like I'm supposed to do. I've read my Bible. I've even prayed. And I've put him on this list, and I've put him first, and I feel good about myself. But that's not what he's called us to do. What then, Colossians chapter 1, it says it this way. It's not that, that he might have first place, but that he might have first place in everything. Get this shift in our thinking that we take him off of that list because it's not Christ over here, my family here, my, my, my job here. No, what does it look like then if we take him off that list and we put him in each of these areas of our lives? Then it looks really different. What if God has first place in my family? What if God has first place in my job? What if God has first place when I'm in Walmart? What if God has first place no matter what I'm doing? It changes that I don't have him just first place as a priority list in my life. I have him first place in every area of my life. Church, this is what he's called us to do. That we fix our thinking that he is not a checkoff box of religion in our lives but that he is this person that transforms every area of our lives, that we haven't compartmentalized an area of our life and said, God, you can't touch this. You can have everything else except for this closed door. No, he is Lord of your life. And if we're unwilling to relent in areas, if we're struggling in these areas, then we'll never be able to fully be what it is that the world needs for us to be and the purpose that he's called us to go and reconcile the world back to himself. So it's not that Jesus, then everything is Jesus in everything and then it is our purpose because at the end of the day, Jesus is the goal. Jesus is our goal. It's why we do what we do. 
These are just songs to sing without Jesus, but it's worship with him. Like with him, it changes everything. If he's in the center of this room, it's about him. We want to lift Jehovah Nisi or Nisi. I don't know if you've taken Greek or not. Right? right? It's we lift his banner up so that people can see him. That's what we do in this room. We want people to see and know, and we want his church to look more like him. So as we wrap up, if you want to come, we can just want to give us a time. We're going to have an invitation, and then we're going to take the elements together this morning, and that'll be how we dismiss after taking communion together. But I just want to encourage you. Let me call on you to just do the hard thing of being a Christian. Man, we can lift Jesus up and glorify him, and really that's probably the easier side of it, but then there's our flesh that we, that we have to deal with. We have to deal with our flesh. I believe that we don't even get into spiritual warfare until we get over ourselves. You, you hear that? Like, I believe that you don't even enter into spiritual warfare until you're able to get over yourself. That there's flesh that gets involved. And then when you start trying, when you start renewing, then the enemy takes notice. Then he starts giving us pushback. We give Satan a lot of credit for things that we are just unable to do on our own. You don't deserve that kind of credit. He doesn't need to be able to do that in our lives. No. God's given us all power to be able to overcome the flesh, and he's given us all power to be able to overcome the enemy. And that's what we need to be after in this room. And I pray as we have a time of invitation, as we sing, especially before we come to a time of remembering his death, even death on a cross together, that we would do the due diligence in our own lives and say, God, I want to be the best version of me that you've called me to be. I want to look just like Jesus. So I think we can come. We'll sing together. We can stand up as we do this. Let this be a time to where this becomes an altar for you to do the work that you need to do, that you maybe need to see God clearly, maybe you need to see yourselves clearly, and that you are passionate about that and you're going to do whatever it takes, that you'll come and respond to him this morning how he's called you to respond. Let's sing together.